You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Hey everyone and welcome to Nerd Room. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. This episode number 336, we're discussing the Wakanda Forever trailer, Black Adam box office tracking... And what is next for the Jurassic franchise? I'm your host, Tim. And I'm Carlos. And probably going to be your host, judging by your voice. Yes, I'm probably not going to last all the way through this, to be honest with you guys. I'm still battling <clears throat> what appears to be lingering COVID symptoms. And my voice does not sound like the normal Tim voice. So I'm not going to be able to go as high as I usually go when it comes to my excitement level on the podcast. But I'm here to try because there's just too much fun to be had inside of the world of nerd right now with everything from wakanda forever trailers black adam we're on the doorstep of this film the hype is building up deadpool 3 announcements colin trevorrow's out there talking about jurassic world and a whole bunch of other really cool nerd stuff that's happening inside of this space and we said let's get at the mics and let's talk about it and so we're going to do just that inside of this week in nerd but first before we get over to that part of the podcast carlos you have been Walking across the podcasting multiverse, it seems, as every time I look at my feed, there's a different show with you appearing on it. So tell us a little bit about what you've been doing over the last couple of weeks. Well, we've taken a shift over to the YouTube channel um, and not putting an episode in the podcast last week. Well, Tim, like I said, the hierarchy of power on the Nerd Room podcast <laughs> is about to change. Uh, yeah, no, I've been uh, blessed to be... Uh, Invited as a guest on a couple of shows with our friends, uh, Adam and Donnie over in the DC Comics Chronicles. You can find them under the Multiverse Musings uh, vidcast feed over on YouTube there. And we did a bit of breakdown of some DC news of late and uh, gushed about three Jokers on a revisit. So that was really cool. It was awesome to... Uh, go back to a story that we love and cherish here on this show and mm-hmm. discuss it again uh, a couple of years after the fact with a couple good dudes. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And then uh, out of the blue, our boy Rick from the Jam Transmissions podcast uh, hit me up to join him on their show and break down episode four of Andor and also revisit kind of my thoughts on the first three episodes and get a bit of a different perspective. So that was kind of cool too. Um, with Rick, like his level of knowledge is unprecedented and yes. it was amazing to be able to try and keep up with him as he gets into the minutia of the series and all the different bits of lore. And, and I got to say, like I, I just about asked him to pause so I could go bring my daughter down here. Cause <laughs> But uh, bless his soul, he uh, he threw me a few bones so that uh, Batman could enter the conversation about Andor and uh, definitely check out the, that episode of Jam Transmissions and all the stuff that he does over in that space. It's mm-hmm. wonderful Star Wars talk that, you know, just really celebrates it, which is awesome. Yeah. And the thing I love, too, about, about what Rick's doing over at Jam Transmissions, and particularly with Andor, too, is that he, he is, in fact, a Star Wars encyclopedia. But he also makes it accessible for everyone. And so mm-hmm. although the minutia is there, I never felt myself with the wheels falling off on the podcast. I, I was always engaged. I listened to it actually uh, last night just as I was going to sleep. And it's it's really great. And his passion for Andor is palpable 
in the words that he uses to talk about the show and it's really great stuff and i was glad to see you over there and then i also checked out the youtube show that you're on there talking about dc stuff and like you said three jokers is is a book that we hold near and dear here is a book that i read one of the only dc books that i read as it came out with you guys and so I went back and listened to you muse about that. And that was, that was really great. So it's good to see, you know, even though there's not a podcast directly in the feed when we do the YouTube show, Carlos is still out there, you know, talking about everything, Star Wars, DC, not so much Marvel, but we're going to get into some of that a little bit later on tonight. Man, basically this last couple of weeks, if you've been watching the news, it's all the bald brown guys with tattoos are out yeah. there promoting <laughs> the DC universe and a few other corners out there. So I'll be uh, launching my line of Canadian whiskey later on. I oh, um, can't wait. In the month. And so, yeah, just watch the YouTube feed for that. Ooh, that would be something else. <laughs> well, man, there it is. If you want to go check out some of the other stuff that Carlos has been doing, it's all there. Uh, we'll actually link it in the uh, the show notes here too as well so you can get over there from this podcast. But man, we got a lot of news to get through, so let's get over to This Week in Nerd. All right, everyone, welcome to This Week in Nerd, where we discuss the latest and the greatest from the world of nerd. And we're going to start this one off with a bang, and that is the Wakanda Forever trailer that just dropped yesterday alongside a brand new poster. Now, this trailer itself goes into a lot more depth and detail on the story as well as the characters. We get a first look at the new Black Panther. We get to see M'Baku's heavy presence in this, some of what looks to be the funeral or follow-on from T'Challa's death, and also a really good look at Namor. The first trailer or two, the teasers, didn't give us a direct look at, at Namor and really flash up some of his stuff. So spoiler on this one, but they go full comics Namor on this with his wings on his ankles. And he has called himself, the actor has called himself an anti-hero, not so much the villain of the story. But for a movie, Carlos, that we talked about a lot because there wasn't a whole bunch coming out of this camp early days of filming other than some pretty interesting and not so positive vibes from the set and we had even questioned if this movie was gonna make this november release date but when you watch this trailer the score what looks to be a fantastic story and script and with ryan coogler's touch on all this this movie has quickly shot up to something that looks like it's going to be by far the best in phase four and if not one of the better and biggest marvel movies in the last couple of years so did you have that kind of same impression watching this trailer from Black Panther or for Wakanda Forever, I should say? Yeah, I was totally blown away. Like I was I was really sold on that first uh, teaser trailer that we got mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago as to where they were taking the story and how they were dealing with the loss of Chadwick Boseman. But like with this trailer being a, a bit of a step removed from that and getting into more what the movie's all about and how it's going to look and feel. The first thing that caught my eye was, and I kind of mentioned this when we talked about that initial trailer, was you can really see the harvest that they're reaping from shooting on location, that they actually mm -hmm. picked up their stuff and shot this in a more traditional manner. The visuals on this are beautiful because they're actual visuals from uh, places around the planet and these gorgeous locations that they were able to shoot at. So hopefully we see more of that for Marvel Studios because right away that got a buy-in from me where it's mm -hmm. like, 
I know I'm not looking at the volume. I know I'm not looking at set paintings. This is legitimate um, traditional filmmaking on display. So that was cool. Um, as far as the story beats that we got goes, I think it's pretty inspired to basically position the conflict. What I was picking up was it's basically the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand there. Yes. Know your history, kids, but that's mm -hmm. what... Yeah, go back if you don't know that reference. It's an important one. Yeah, if you don't know that reference, like, I insist that you actually go look it yeah. up because it's... <laughs> we talk about all stuff that doesn't matter, but that matters. Um, but that they're using that as the catalyst for the battle between the two kingdoms, I think, is pretty awesome. And it really plays into what um, the actor was saying in that Namor is not actually a villain. He's an anti-hero because he is going to be the hero to his people, mm -hmm. right? Uh, based on what happens. And maybe the Wakandans aren't entirely right uh, based on what their actions are, but they feel justified based on how they're responding to other things. And I think we're going to have like a third player in there somewhere who's maybe mm -hmm. manipulating both parties. And even if we don't... Um, these type of conflicts arise in the real world all the time. So why not give a little bit more grit and veritas to the MCU by just having it being like, these are two decent sets of people. However, something happened and they've fallen into discord and now they're at war with each other. Um, yeah. You don't have to look very far to see real world examples of that. And, and I think it would be a bold choice actually, if you don't have like the master manipulator in the background and mm -hmm. these guys are just trying to sort their things out. So that was cool. Um, one of the highlights in my house was actually Riri Williams in the Ironheart yes. suit. Um, yeah, my daughter was like totally sold on that. And, and it's cool like that I'm experiencing bits of Marvel with characters that I'm not really familiar with, but I've mm -hmm. bought loads of those comics, but not for myself, for her. And where her knowledge about um, what the books played out as and how the characters are supposed to act and look and everything else is uh, where the expertise in our house is coming from for the first time. So that was kind of neat too. Um, that was a, a big highlight of this trailer for me and Namor yeah. flying around. Like I did not expect to see that. I thought it would no. be pretty subdued. Me too. But... I thought I didn't even, I thought they would have a visual reference to it, but that's it. But they've mm -hmm. kind of fully bought into that aspect of it. And yeah, everything you said is, is nail on the head. It, this movie looks to be absolutely gorgeous. And the thing that always is going to stick out was how, how much is the movie going to be weighed down by the absence of Chadwick Boseman and T'Challa? And how can you actually put a movie to screen in this franchise without him as the main character? And I'm convinced at this point that they found a way to soften that blow, to work it into the story in a meaningful way, in a respectful way, but also to continue to progress the narrative of the story. It's, we're not going to get kind of pulled into a a vortex where this is the sole focus point of the of the film. We're going to actually, I think, have the ability for even the characters like Angela Bassett's character really becoming a major player. And M'Baku, he really stuck out to me in this trailer. 
as someone mm-hmm. that is going to rise to the occasion inside of this. And, that, and that's got me excited. I really liked Winston Duke in that role from Black Panther as he kind of played kind of not, I guess, an anti-hero of sorts or whatever you want to call it, what he was. But he seems to be still playing that. I'm not fully here, but I'm committed to Wakanda and and stepping up to the plate, which I really like. And so we're going to see a different light shine on quite a few characters in this. And it looks to be like Namor is going to play quite a significant role in this. And hopefully we get to see some major character development with him as well. Yeah, like with M'Baku, I like that he's the voice of reason and maybe mm-hmm. sitting uh, apart from Ramonda and Shuri and the rest of the uh, inner circle of Wakanda and he's maybe that voice saying like we were wronged or this event happened, but you need to be measured in what your reaction is because who's to say that we're right in exacting revenge on this mm-hmm. other group of people or, or whatever the circumstance is. But yeah, he, that's, that's what you get. You see, he went out and he played Batman and now yeah. he's taken a <laughs> yeah, step right? back as that, <laughs> master tactician and strategist so it is just what happens but uh yeah yeah i'm i'm excited for all these different character dynamics that they're gonna have it play and mm-hmm. like honestly they could not suit up and not fight and i'd still be fascinated as to what this story is and how it gets resolved agreed the geopolitical nature of what they're putting together inside of this with two fictional nations that have varying degrees of power that are unprecedented at the scale of of our reality i think is fascinating as hell like you could not put a black panther suit in this and i agree with you and you you i think you would still have a very interesting story but there is a black panther suit in this it wasn't quite shown in the little teaser trailer it was shown in its full glory in this one it does appear to be shuri i would say based off of build but is this a a bit of uh smoke and mirrors will she end up being the final black panther by the end of this because we had put our our money originally on nakia being the the black panther the one that takes up the mantle i don't know man like i thought whoever the lady is in the suit looked cool um the theory crafting uh, i'm gonna leave that you're gonna leave it you're gonna leave it you're gonna leave (laughs) that's cool that's cool well we're gonna get there it's not too long of a wait november 11th this movie comes out, which is actually an interesting time when you talk about Franz Ferdinand and the implications of all that. And <laughs> yeah, that's it's, true. Actually, it's a weird connection um, between those two dates and or the two events. Uh, but uh, it, it's coming, guys, and it looks like it's going to be a really nice capper for for Marvel Studios inside of 2023. But it's not it's not the only big movie we got coming out in the next few weeks here, man. There's uh there there. There's something huge coming out here in what is it October seventeenth ish, and around that October twenty first twenty first is the day. Yeah, I think maybe some of the international markets open for Black Adam, uh, but October twenty first is the official release date of this, and The Rock has kicked off the uh, world tour. He was in Mexico, I think, yesterday, and um, receiving a warm reception. But the box office tracking has come out and. It just keeps going up. Like when I was on with the DC Comics Connections guys, I think the tracking was 50 to 60. And then just today, Deadline came out and reported it as being 65 to 70. And then literally within the hour, Hollywood Reporter comes out and they said that they've got some insider, very reliable 
uh, tracking information that puts it at 70 to 75 million for an opening weekend. And like I've talked before on the show, like the box office numbers really shouldn't matter and shouldn't be something that gets as much focus as it does. Um, but I thought it was important to talk about with Black Adam just because the discourse was uh, a little less desirable um, surrounding the numbers. But I think those numbers are actually phenomenal. Like if it hits that 75, that'll put it as the number five uh, all time for an October release. And it'll put it in that same kind of ballpark as the two Venom movies and whatnot. And even on its low end, if it hits a 65, it's actually going to open higher than No Time to Die. So yeah, they're not Marvel Studios opening box office numbers, but compared to everything from everybody else that's being released uh the box office tracking for black adam is actually looking to be pretty strong it's the strongest ever for a dwayne johnson movie which is a positive Mm -hmm. too and you have black adam who is a relatively unknown character or who is an unknown character like completely unknown to be honest with you yeah yeah and he's fighting the justice society of america also predominantly unknown characters like the most recognizable one is Hawkman, but people know Hawk Girl better because of the Justice League animated series. So that this movie is tracking that well, um, this far out, we got like a couple of weeks, is a very positive sign. The demographic breakdown was actually pretty interesting too, where it's actually got a fairly high degree of interest from women and the Hispanic population, which I guess is out of the ordinary, but that's good showing that it's appealing to different groups other than kind of that 16 to 24 year old white guy. So that's cool. And I don't blame the ladies for running out to see a movie with Aldous Hodge in it. Who's only half covered. So yeah, Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm excited to see this. And like I said, my thing with box office is always like, it's not a scoreboard. There's no standings, there's no cup that uh, DJ is vying for. With uh, the box office totals versus other movies. However, uh, if this movie is successful and does good things for Warner Brothers, that just makes them more inclined to make other DC Comics movies, spin stuff out, who knows, do a Dr. Fate show, um, work towards Black Adam being the major antagonist in a big event film, maybe a build to the Justice League versus Black Adam, and that's your answer to the first Avengers movie type of thing done properly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's where that's where the importance of these things comes in for me. And yeah, before you let anybody tell you any different about those numbers, like no time to die, a very expensive, like probably cost one and a half, not two times what this movie cost. Very expensive, but very successful movie in the Bond franchise. And if James Bond and if you have a guy named Black Adam tracking higher than James Bond, I think you're doing all right. Yeah. And look, the the thing with The Rock is he's consistent, right? Consistent in delivery when it comes to the box office. And traditionally, he performs very well internationally. The MO or the foundational delivery of this film needs to make sure that Black Adam becomes a household name. And Black Adam is synonymous with success and DC. I think doesn't matter what they make. They just need to lay a foundation here. He's been talking about the hierarchy of change. You spoke about that right at the top of the episode. This needs to happen. And it is an evolutionary piece. It is step-wise 
growth. And if they can accomplish that inside of this, I think it's, it's going to be successful. At the end of the day, you have the big, biggest single marketing tool at your disposal with The Rock right now. He will drive success through this. And, you know, like you said, these aren't Marvel. They don't, they, like most Marvel films have a built-in $100 million debut uh, mm-hmm. built off of the Marvel Studios logo. And The Rock also traditionally has legs where some of these Marvel movies are very front-loaded and don't have the legs behind them. And so you end up seeing these things equalize over time. And so I agree. There's, there's not uh, – turning your nose up at a sub-$100 million debut isn't the right approach. You know, DC is looking for consistency – and that's what this is likely to deliver. And excitement too, right? Like the rock and hype. I think it was you that pointed out the other day or not too long ago, you've got Dwayne Johnson doing NFL stuff with a Black Adam shirt on. Like yeah. you've got tens of millions of people watching in a moment being like, what's a Black Adam? And going to Google machine and typing it in because they're, you know what I mean? Like that is the type of thing that, that he brings to the table and 80 some odd million Instagram followers. <laughs> Oh, yeah, totally, totally. In fact, uh, Thursday at uh, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, uh, the Under Armour Black Adam clothing line launches. So there you go. Look out, workplace gym. Black Adam is going to be in the house. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really excited for this one. Really excited for this one. I think it's one of those things that we've been talking about The Rock in this role for so long and him wanting to to do something and change it up. And I, I think... And I hope that this concept of losing DJ into the role, for me, it's it's going down in this movie. And I'm really excited about that and and what he can deliver on this scale, right? He's not running around in a jungle with a tan shirt on. And so mm-hmm. I think uh, I think he's got something to prove here. And if anyone can deliver, it is, uh, it is our man DJ. Enough said, man. Enough said. Enough said. Well, let, let's skew over to, to something that is a little different. Still in the comic book movie space, I want to talk about Werewolf by Night. This is something that was announced at the D23 panel. And I believe this is D23. Maybe it was one of the other ones. But anyways, it was kind of a a shot in the dark. No one knew this was coming. And Michael Giacano, who is Giacano? Giacano? I don't know. Uh, Giacchino. Giacchino, (laughs) thank you. Unbelievable composer. Some of the best Mm -hmm. scores. The Batman. Planet of the Apes movies, all the No Way Home he did. He's got look, all the Jurassic franchise, the world stuff, a lot of stuff with Abrams, a lot of stuff with Reeves. This guy is, you know, a modern day John Williams, if I can draw a comparison for myself. And he stepped behind the lens of this one and has delivered this werewolf by night, this kind of Halloween MCU-esque special. It focuses on the monster side of the MCU. It's all in black and white. It is a love letter, a throwback to these 1930s monster movies. Not my thing, but you put this composer behind the lens and it kind of puts a unique spin on something that we haven't seen in the MCU. I'm intrigued by this one. comes out on October 7th, so very fitting for the month of of Halloween. But, Carl, I want to take your pulse on this one because it is so different, and I have zero idea i've never touched a werewolf by night comic nothing like that but i'm intrigued enough to to give this a view for sure yeah i have fond memories of reading the old marvel horror books like tomb of dracula and werewolf by night and stuff when i was a little kid like told the story on the show before about a bunch of my first comics just being hand-me-downs from neighbor guy and cousin and stuff like that so uh there were some of those books in there 
And uh, yeah, I didn't understand what was going on, but there was always just kind of this um, uh, forbidden feeling to them. Like, oh, these are a little more edgy and a little more violent and is it something that I should be reading kind of thing. So uh, yeah, they were cool. I, I would by no means... Uh, profess myself to be an expert on mm-hmm. those Marvel horror books or be able to tell you five things about them. But uh, that trailer is what actually took me aback in that I love the look and feel of it in that, mm-hmm. like you said, it's like this kind of throwback to the Universal Monsters era of movies. And I like that they're taking something that might not be viable for them, but they're like, you know, we'll throw a bit of money at it. We'll allow some creative juices to flow and we'll bring in someone like Giacchino to be able to direct something as a, you know, a, a first time project type of thing behind the lens. And yeah, I think it's cool. Like um, it might be a little campy, but that'll mm-hmm. be neat. And if it's a, just a straight up horror in the vein of those old Universal and Hammer films, then that's cool too. So yeah, I'm, I'm actually quite excited for this one. Like, uh Anything in that creative space where you're doing something different, where uh, you're building on filmmaking of old, like you'll get me there all day, every day with that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You'll you'll catch my wrath for Thor: Love and Thunder, but uh, yeah. stuff like this, Wakanda Forever, give me more of that type style MCU stuff. Yeah, and this is likely meant to be quite campy, right? Like y- y- this is a like I said, like you said, a, a throwback. And I'm excited to see, like you, you also said, what direction they kind of take this. You know, do 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 we get some form of grander storytelling in this? Because there's been lots of rumors about, you know, this monster side of the universe really kicking off and going forward with the likes of Blade being put to screen at some point once they find a another director and they're having script rewrites and all that. And there, there's a lot they can do in this space that is has no implications for any of the other stories of the MCU. This is just its own thing in its own space. It can reside on Disney+. Plus. It can filter up into some of the movies with Blade and all that, but they can just kind of explore stuff, which is what's great about Disney+, Plus, right? Because in the absence of that, I don't know if you really ever get this. Like, There's no way they're ever putting something like this to the big screen, but they're using this platform, this medium, to tell different stories, which which I think is fantastic. Yeah, it's cool. Like, and to be honest, like taking those type of risks, like Marvel Studios does take risks, but they've always been tempered and measured and within the formula of things that they know work. Whereas with this, it's like it could fall flat on its face or be one of the most beloved things that they ever Mm -hmm. done. So, yeah, it's cool, man. I, I really give them props for going this way and going off the beaten path a little bit. But, uh, Speaking of going off the beaten path, bringing back Hugh Jackman as Wolverine in Deadpool Mm. 3 was definitely something off the beaten path. I did not see that coming Mm -mm. in a million years. And uh, to be honest, like, I kind of dig it. I'm not one who's precious about Logan. Like, no, me neither. I don't, to be honest with you. Yeah, like I, I like it as a piece of character work, and I like it as a film, and I think it really—it's one of those. It's kind of like 
so cliche to use these two movies in the same sentence, but it's kind of like the Dark Knight is a crime thriller that you could pull Batman right out of and it still works as a movie. Logan is a lot of those same beats with being like an end of life type of story and uh, legacy and the next generation and, and things of that nature. And so I do like it in that sense and I do like it as a movie, but as a comic book movie and as part of the X-Men universe of films, the vast majority of which I quite love, um, I found it a bit nihilistic and it's not one that I revisit all the time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just kind of view it as its own thing as a bit of a one-off and, um, yeah, I, I, I love it for what it is, but I'm not precious about it. Like I said, but, uh, yeah, I, I thought that this, this came totally out of the blue yes. for me. Um, I dig it. Like you can tell the two of them just love each other, love working with each mm -hmm. other. I think a bit of it is Hugh Jackman having a hard time letting go of Wolverine, despite him wanting to yeah. and knowing that Marvel studios will allow him to wear a, a padded suit and use some green screen without having to eat chicken breasts and spinach all the time. Like he had to <laughs> for the Wolverine. Uh, I think that probably helped convince him to get on board and uh, yeah, it's an interesting play uh, in the totality of things. But I do think the big driver of bringing him back is that Marvel can't recast the X-Men until all those contracts are done. And I don't think that's until 2025 or 2026. So, you know, what Which if, contracts? For all the Fox actors. Oh, so they're like riding like a WCW thing when they got bought, when they couldn't, they're all contracted <laughs> yeah. in a weird way and they can't come in and wrestle. So... I did, did not realize that that was something that was hung up there, that they had these guys contracted to play out to a certain amount. And mm, interesting. Yeah, I don't think that he's one of them. Um, no. To be clear on that. But uh, like, if you're making an X-Men movie, you're going to want to have a Professor X in there. You're going to want to have a Cyclops mm -hmm. in there, a Storm. And if you can't use those characters, but don't want to leave the X-Men on the shelf for any longer... And Ryan Reynolds isn't getting any younger either. Um, yeah, it makes no. sense in that regard to bring him to the table, you know, maybe give him a last hurrah or two, firmly establish himself as being a part of the MCU, at least at some point in time. That's cool too. Um, and yeah, why not? And really the money that was made hand over fist by bringing Tobey Maguire back into the Spider-Man franchise was probably not unnoticed by Mr. Jackman. So, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, like you, I was totally shocked. I saw this Ryan Reynolds post come up. I saw, what's this? What's going on here? You know, he usually posts something funny if there's some current event going on or he wants to provide some commentary or he just wants to promote his gym, which he does in yeah. this as well. And so I was like, like no context did not, reading it and he's oh deadpool 3 is happening and marvel studios I'm like, okay cool marvel studios is finally gonna allow this to happen and then jackman walks in the background like that that i was like i was jaw dropped by this announcement because like you and like most people thought that that hugh jackman had to an end where he was happy with with logan he had mm -hmm. kind of said okay this character is no longer mine but i'm cool with him coming back and, you know, he's going to be 53, 54, I think, while filming this. And 
you know, like you said, he he's there's some work to do, but the guy looks as good as ever. And these two together on screen, really for the first time, after all of the interaction they have offline and online, and I'm I guess they're in that movie we don't really talk about together, but that wasn't like the true Deadpool. <laughs> there's there's something special here. This movie is I think going to be hilarious. I honestly think it's going to take place inside of the current Deadpool universe and that they're going to be pulled in some fashion into the MCU proper. I don't see this taking place inside of the MCU prime. And I wouldn't be shocked if these guys make some appearance in secret wars as well. Like they've, they've teed up this concept of the multiverse saga and they're really leveraging it with no way home. Like you said, bringing those characters back every like multiverse of madness had these cameo like there's so much here that when you go back and look at phase one through three they were so precious about not touching any of that other stuff and keeping spider-man stuff at arm's reach and all this and it's all kind of trickled into this multiverse saga and so why not like take advantage of this this phase this next three phases of the multiverse saga and just do everything i i i'm quite thrilled about this i think this would be a, a a great pit stop on the way to some of the more intense movies like kang dynasty this is coming out the early part of 2024 i believe kind of in that same span as we're getting those two big avengers movies and so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see what they do with all this but at the end of the day i think it's gonna be a lot of fun yeah it'll be cool and i think with the quantum mania on the horizon two and a mm. season two of loki they've got a few bits to play with to keep it its own thing or fully immerse it in the rest of the MCU. And mm-hmm. yeah, off we go. Off we yeah. go. So, yeah. yeah. And now speaking about Loki, Multiverse of Madness, Secret Wars, it seems that this big climactic film that is going to be compared shoulder to shoulder with Avengers Endgame in Avengers Secret Wars has found its writer, and that's Michael Waldron, who wrote Loki Season 1 and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Now, there's a lot of conjecture online about people saying this isn't the right guy, they didn't like Multiverse of Madness, some people didn't like Loki, I thoroughly enjoyed Loki. But interesting that, you know, in the past they've gone with a writer-director that kind of handles all of this in this scale, they're putting together the script in the Russo brothers. And I guess they didn't pen Endgame and all that, but working very closely there with it. Um, but Michael Waldron, given inside of the universe what he's done, does he seem like the right choice for Secret Wars? Uh, yeah, like it's one of those. Like you've got two, two equal weights on the scale for me because I mm. quite loved Loki. I thought it was... Like up until Miss Marvel, it was the strongest show that they've done. It's no secret about how I feel about lots of the Disney Plus stuff, but I thought it was probably the best of their shows. And also the show that had the most layers. And mm-hmm. um, he gave Tom Hiddleston a ton to work with. And yeah, it, it was a pretty rich and dense show. And despite dealing with some pretty high concept stuff it was completely accessible and easy to track the whole way through so yeah based on that i'm i think he's great for the job i didn't love multiverse of madness i thought it was 
okay. I, I think all due respect to the filmography, like I think Sam Raimi might have been more of a hindrance than a help to some of that movie. You have some of the best visuals that you've seen in a Marvel movie, but then just some really sloppy storytelling things that kind of happened. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know whose fault those are, if they're uh, Raimi's or Waldron's. But um, yeah, I, I think he's fine. I do think the discourse around him was a bit interesting and that there's change.org petitions going around. Oh, really? And... I didn't see that. Jeez, <laughs> people. You know, oh, what? yeah, man. Here, here... If we've learned anything about there's there's a couple of things about Marvel Studios. One, they often like going in-house for these big things and staying in-house with someone that's proven to conform if you will to their process, but they've also shown that if the script isn't where they want to go, maybe particularly Kevin Feige, they will rewrite it. They've done that with several movies. They <laughs> and just redid it with Blade. Yeah, yeah, literally just like not yeah. even two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and so people have been pitched off. They've had guys come in and touch things up. And, you know, this is this is part of the filmmaking process. And so I, I agree with you. I'm like, at the end of the day, a writer's a writer's a writer, right? You know, some writers have really good books and then they have a book that doesn't land. Like even some of the best writers in the world are like that. And so, you know, he's putting out the script. There's a whole execution piece behind it, right? And so yeah. the majority of the script, to be honest with you, there's going to be, like, Feige's going to show up with a folder full of stuff saying, like, yeah, so we've built all of this in the last dozen movies. Work that in, and then you can write around that. Like, there's going to be pretty big boundaries set up on either side of him about exactly where the story can go. You know what I mean? Like the Russos did that with, or that was done for Russos in Endgame and Infinity War to a degree as well, right? Yeah, and I don't know why people are losing their minds about it because it's not like he's Moses going up to the top of the mountain mm -hmm. and then coming down with the tablets and that is the be-all, end-all yes. and there's no changing or deviating from it. Like he's going to be working with a group of other writers and it'll have passes and get sent back to him for mm -hmm. rewrites or maybe sent back to him and somebody else to help him with the rewrites and whatever they come up with when the script is being shot, there's nothing to say that they have to completely adhere to it if things aren't working. So mm -hmm. it is a collaborative process and like Marvel studios track record proves that they can play and collaborate with each other. So yeah, it's, Honestly, I, I was pretty surprised to see people yeah. losing their minds, but uh, that's that's what we do in comic book Twitter. So Yeah, of course. And yeah, if you guys think that Kevin Feige is not going to try to outdo himself with Infinity War and Endgame with Secret Wars and even Kang Dynasty, you're kidding yourselves. Like, this guy is now measuring himself against himself in a serious way. And so there's a, there's a lot riding on this delivery is can they escalate? Can they do bigger? Can they do grander? With Secret Wars, that's what it's meant to be. They have to outdo Endgame, to be honest with you, or a kind of Infinity War and Endgame with those two uh, Phase Six capping Avengers films. So it's gonna be interesting to see where it goes. I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite excited about the future here. Yeah, yeah. So am I. And speaking of exciting, you know what? I'm gonna take take a slight detour and kind of leave you at the side of the road here, buddy. But in in honor of our boy Dalton <laughs> and all our other listeners there who like the comic book talk. Uh, I'm going to talk about a book that I just read, One Bad Day, uh, Two-Face. 
or Two Face mm-hmm. One Bad Day by Marco Tamaki and uh, Javier Fernandez uh, on the art duties. And so the One Bad Day books are a series of eight. So this is the second one, uh, eight DC Comics one shots set in the Batman universe, and they're kind of taking different villains and giving them the killing joke treatment. And so um, the Riddler one came out done by uh, Tom King and Mitch Gerrards, and that one was wonderful and just quite the head-spinning read and gives you a take on the Riddler that I've never, ever seen before. And these are things that you could pick up. They might be in continuity. They might not. I'm not completely convinced that the Riddler one is. Um, And this one feels a bit more continuity based but uh even so you don't need to really know much going into it and the way they tee it up also had me wondering but uh it's a really cool story about a somewhat reformed Harvey Dent uh who is planning an 88th birthday party for his dad who's a bit of a business tycoon and whatnot and the dad gets a death threat made against him so it's actually Batman working with the Bat family and taking the information that Harvey has to try and figure out who's leveled this threat and keep the event safe and whatnot. So I don't want to spoil anything, but yeah, it was really solid, a really neat character study of Two-Face. Admittedly, like having read Batman for as ridiculously long as I have, it did play a few beats that I was familiar with and I was able to see where the story was going a little bit. But once I kind of, stepped back a bit and was like well not everybody has read that much stuff Mm -hmm. like if you were to walk into this book i think you would absolutely love it man so yeah the two-face one bad day and it like i definitely recommend it and i strongly strongly recommend the riddler one bad day book and i think the next one up is a penguin one done by uh john ridley and uh giuseppe camoli so oh, right on yeah it'll yeah it'll be gorgeous awesome and be artist. yeah something extremely well written so yeah i definitely recommend jumping on them and like there's no barrier to entry it's just just one shots they're beautifully printed and they're pretty economical too so yeah dc has consistently been doing this have they not about these low barrier for entry stories they've been telling and this this whole concept of buying into creativity over continuity and allowing Mm -hmm. readers to just experience characters and it's it's an admirable take like i really like that because you know over time and even on twitter i see you guys bashing about different dc stuff and it seems to be really really firing on all cylinders recently the dc comics universe yeah like you know what it's been so Good. Like, ironically, the two books that I am enjoying the least is, like, Batman and Detective, and they're still great. Like, Mm -hmm. you couldn't find me a book with more beautiful pages than the Batman book right now, and Ron B is doing some interesting things with how he's constructing his narrative in Detective, but, like, the Superman books are next level. Like, they've taken Superman and his son and basically... Superman finds an oppressed people on war world and John has developed to the point where he's like, I can go work to help liberate these people because I can trust you with the planet earth kind of thing. And so 
Superman goes off and has this freaking crazy gladiator adventure that spans all these issues and it's just so rich and deep and he kind of gets there and I don't want to spoil anything but it's like it's amazing because he's not in a position where he can just superman it up and save the day by sheer force of his power he has to kind of inspire people to buy into his way of thinking but he's like just his goodness leads to a bit of uh, naivety as to where people uh, will come at w- with him and people trusting him and questioning their trust in his mission and oh it's just awesome stuff and then yeah John on Earth you get to see him develop flourish into his own man he you know he has the boyfriend and just negotiating that like introducing him to Lois for the first time then his grandparents and then revealing it to the world like it's cool and if you don't want continuity stuff like dark knights of uh steel was is an awesome book where it's like basically the dc universe in medieval times and you don't know anything like (laughs) even i don't know like there is tons of shocking revelations and you think you know who the players are and what the social dynamics are between them and you have no idea like it is, I think it's like seven issues in. And in fact, they've reprinted the first half of it so that if you want to jump on, you can just go pick up this cheap trade and um, get on before the rest of the series plays out. And it consistently surprises me. Like it's not playing on any of the tropes awesome. that you would expect. And like some of them are there, but they turn them on their head all the time. And it just, it's really cool. Like if you like Lord of the Rings and you want it kind of told through a DC lens, totally something that um, this book does or like Wizard of Oz or things of that nature. Mm-hmm. It's a cool, cool one. And, yeah. Very, very cool. Well, I love hearing a little update on DC Comics. I know the listeners out there have been asking for a bit more comic talk, so let's try to bring some of that in. I've been uh, legging a big time, but uh, maybe someday, maybe someday I'll find some time to actually read a comic book here and there. But one thing that I have made time for is watching the extended cut of Jurassic World Dominion, which I thoroughly enjoy. But Colin Trevorrow, the director of said film, and really the man that ushered in this new era of Jurassic World, was recently out doing, I guess, it might have been an interview from when they were pressing or doing the press tour for the digital release or the, the hard copy release of Jurassic World Dominion and really pumping up this extended cut. He did an interview with Empire. And inside of that, he talked about what he was doing with the franchise, and potentially what is next for the franchise. And he had a quote in here that I thought was quite interesting that I wanted to discuss. And it goes like this. This is Colin Trevorrow talking here. I specifically did something different than the other films in order to change the DNA of the franchise. The previous five films are plots about dinosaurs. This one is a story about characters in a world in which they coexist with dinosaurs. For the franchise to be able to move forward, because it's inherently unfranchisable, There probably should have only been one Jurassic Park. But if we're going to do it, how can I allow them to tell stories in a world in which dinosaurs exist as opposed to, here's another reason why we're going to an island? And so this is him speaking more fundamentally about the changes of story that he did within Dominion. And it's something actually that you and I spoke in quite a bit of depth and detail on of our review of Jurassic World Dominion. So you guys can go back in the feed and check that out. We really heavily focus on this aspect of what Colin Trevorrow did inside of that film. 
But this here, what he seems to have been alluding to is that he wanted to pivot this franchise in a direction where we would continue to get stories from it, but different stories and stories that aren't narratively driven about going to a park, getting chased by dinosaurs, and coming out the other side either half dead or not. I I love this franchise to death, but agree with him wholeheartedly here that the franchises need the franchises need to pivot into something different. And leveraging, because you get this out of the books, leveraging the concept of DNA and doing the locust thing inside of Dominion and what this genetic power actually can result, I think was a really interesting way of taking it. And the dinosaurs become a bit secondary for a little bit, which I which I liked in Dominion. They got their time in the movie for sure, but this whole subplot about the genetic manipulation of crops and of locusts and you know how that affects the world, I thought was thoroughly interesting. So my question to you, Carlos, here is, is listening to what Trevorrow said there, is there room for a, a J Jurassic World franchise to continue into a seven eight nine or spin out into a something different but still maintaining the jurassic world franchise in some capacity yeah i think what you've done with dominion and yeah like you said i i quite love that movie and i think it really builds on what Crichton wrote yes. as the fundamental core of his original book with um the dangers of tampering with genetics. Mm -hmm. And so n now that Trevorrow has put this, this world in a position where the dinosaurs are out and about, you don't necessarily have to be tethered to InGen or mm -hmm. Biosyn because he's done a few things. So at the end of Fallen Kingdom, you saw these embryos going all over the place and you know they were actively selling them to um some pretty shady folks you saw the dinosaurs go out under the wild and start reproducing in dominion you see other companies start raising dinosaurs for their own uh purposes they talk about especially in the extended cut the value of dinosaurs on the mm -hmm. black market, either alive or dead. And so you don't have to actually focus on any of these companies. You don't have to have bias in and control of the dinosaurs. You don't have to go back to the reserve. I do like the idea of that reserve being there mm -hmm. and where it is. So you have this kind of perfect holding place for the ones that you love being the Rex and, and the ones we met in this last movie and through Camp Cretaceous. But then you have all these unknown, unchecked, unregulated uh, pieces of dinosaur all over the world. And now you can just kind of flesh your story out from there. Mm -hmm. like you could just talk about a bunch of dudes at a lab in Australia creating dinosaurs and the havoc that ensues after that. And then your next movie could be about a dinosaur zoo that they set up in Central Park, New York, and how it went wrong. And mm -hmm. the other one could be how dinosaur infestation in the rainforest is starting to destroy that area and how they reconcile, you know, keeping the animals alive, but yet preserving the rainforest or who knows, right? The, the possibilities are endless is my point. And 
it opens the door for Universal to do whatever the hell they want with just dinosaurs because cool-looking dinosaurs will get butts in seats. They sure will. They sure will. And you could do the, the idea of, of telling, like you said, they're very different stories. You could, you know, you can play with even things that, that we continue to talk about and that they allude to a lot in these films about the consequences of of genetic ma- manipulation, bringing back new things, which is very like they're, ta- they're they've been actively talking about that for for quite a while in the real world. And then what happens if these dinosaurs start to go extinct? in this French, like, do you pr- try to prevent the extinction? Like they kind of touched on in fallen kingdom. And, you know, it, it, there, I think there's so many different ways that now that they've established this platform where they don't need to use Chris Pratt. They don't need to use the legacy characters. They can move forward with some of the, maybe the new characters they introduce, or like you said, something completely different. Let's, let's throw new characters at this and, and try something completely different that isn't tied to something existing and i think it's exciting and i i don't think universal anytime soon is going to be putting this franchise on the shelf and letting it sit for another decade or two there's 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 too much money to be had and franchising gives you the foundational support you need to develop new movies right you need to be consistently pumping out some of these films that have a built-in audience and that will consistently deliver for you so that you are able to finance other movies and other things and build other franchises. And so Jurassic World is just too big. You you were just down at the parks that they have there in California. And, you know, this is, a, you know, he says it's inherently in, unfranchisable, which I think he means is that the story itself, if it's contained to just the dinosaurs on a park, it becomes a very difficult to continue, difficult story to continue to tell in a meaningful way. And they found ways to revisit the park. They found ways to, you know, I think Jurassic World is brilliant in the fact that they said, no, we're going to give you a working park for the first time. I thought that was a really cool way of, of kicking things off. But I I love this franchise, and I love Jurassic Park, of course, the most. But I'm happy to see that he's already has the wheel spinning and is talking to Universal about what potential this franchise could be. And while he was constructing this movie, he was – putting or he was using or he had two hats on one was let's end the franchise that i started here with the world stuff but i'm also gonna leave this stuff in a place where someone else can pick it up and run with it yeah he doesn't get enough credit for yeah being as astute a writer and a storyteller Mm -hmm. as he is like he i don't know what happened but honestly i think one of the big franchise regrets of all time will be that he didn't do what became rise of skywalker i think yeah. What he had planned was pretty cool, and and even just you look at the things that he was doing there with kind of evolving concepts that are already in play, like having the Stormtrooper Rebellion born out of Finn just being the first one of many and having a bunch of liberated Stormtroopers versus the uh, ones that are loyal to the First Order like that's that's just cool and that's kind of what he's doing here where it's like here's these things that are established that people like or have embraced and but how do we grow them in new and interesting ways and take it forward right like the raptors in jurassic world are not that far a leap from what um chris columbus did with the raptors in jurassic park 3 so yeah yeah Yeah. it's cool that he evolves it that way well, and it's interesting that you, you talk about 
the maybe the regret about him not doing Rise of Skywalker because one of the things I think he did good with the franchise, you know, people can have their opinions about characters and all that, is he picked it up, did something with it, and then left it, like I said, for someone else to, to run with it. And that might have been... I don't want to get into a Last Jedi conversation here, but that might have been one of the, the issues with The Last Jedi is that Ryan Johnson made a film, not the middle film in a franchise or in a trilogy. And so picking up characters and, and doing something different with them when they have some form of conclusion to them, um, I, I don't think that that was left in a way that it, it was easy to pick up. But Trevorrow, like I'm saying here, I think he's left this franchise in a place where they can just go and do something different. It doesn't They don't have to go back and say, okay, we're going back to to whatever i guess they can't go back to isla nublar because it's under lava but go back to site b or go back to whatever and revisit something that that's part of the legacy of it they can they can just go yeah yeah no exactly and if they go back to site b eventually like why not but just you can tell a completely different kind of story there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yeah he's set it up so that they honestly don't have to bring a single one of the characters back no. but yet the world is going to be immediately understandable so mm-hmm. it'll yeah. be cool all right man well we're pressing up against an hour here and we've found our way through all things kind of stars marvel dc and beyond here and let's let's put a pin in the episode this week so that's all our news episode you know we're gonna be coming back at you guys with uh you know as the covid's developed in my house and as we've had some difficulty getting our feet under us our original schedule for for september has been kind of all messed up we did a toy stream live on youtube last week we're doing this news episode the actual audio for that toy stream live is also in the podcast feed right now so you can go back one episode and check that one out but uh we will on our twitter handles we will promote what we're doing next week because we're going to change it up and we can continue to do with this this every single week trying to do something just a little different to keep things fresh here in the nerd room so we will let you guys know what is coming at you it'll likely be in the podcast feed as well so carlos my man it has been a treat getting back at the microphones with you here and i look forward to listening to you on another two or three podcasts next week or so and seeing what you do cover outside of the nerd room here well yeah it's uh it was it was curious to just kind of have all those come together at the same time. I usually, don't uh, don't guess as much, but uh, you know what? It was fun. And if anybody wants to join us here or mm-hmm. have us there, like yeah, we're obviously ready, willing, and able. So yeah, hit us up, and we'll just celebrate this stuff that we all love. Exactly, like Carl said, we're open to collabs in any form. So just let us know, and you can let us know by emailing us at thenerdum@gmail.com. You can find everything we do. Over there, room.net. YouTube guys, we've been we've been trying to really focus on that. We have a live stream up there talking about if modern collecting is too expensive. So that's up there. And Ian's got a video that is dropping this week on a figure, a Halo figure review, and he's been consistently putting up just brilliant figure reviews. So lots of toy talk over there as well. And Twitter, that's where you will find us. That is our kind of our primary mechanism for discussing nerd and where we can be contacted best. So you can find our handles at the end of the episode and carlos goddamn batman you know for for this week it's it's time to wrap it up so with all of that being said for the nerd room i'm tim and i'm batman and thank you so much for entering the nerd room this has been a nerd room podcast production you can find our hosts tim troy sanjay and carlos on twitter at the nerd rm troy the boy 87 sanjabi 
and CDN Caped Crusade R. For more content from The Nerd Room, check out thenerdroom.net. And don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, wherever you plug in. Use the hashtag WeTheNerd to keep up with the latest from The Nerd Room on Instagram and Twitter.